please. I really enjoy being around that person. You know, every time I'm around her, she has a way of finding a way to lift up the people she's talking to. I wonder how many of us have said that about somebody, something like that, or had that said about us. I think if, we've, if we're familiar with this, both giving that praise as well as maybe uh, having received that praise at some time or another, it would mean that we are uh, familiar with the elements of Romans 12, and in, particularly, in particular, verse 10. And so I'd invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We'll be studying from there this evening. And we're really going to look mainly at one verse out of this text, but it's not going to feel like it because to look at that verse, we need to to back up and look at some of the other verses before it. Uh, And so really it's a good part of chapter 12 we're looking at. But it makes me feel better to say we're going to be looking at one verse. It's a short lesson. Uh, And so, (laughs) so good to have everybody here tonight. Good to see everyone this evening. And uh, hope that you're kicking all the allergies that are out there right now uh, and, uh, and making it well. Uh, it's good to, good to be here today and good to get to be here this evening. And appreciate everybody who's, who's led us uh, today in worship and service to God together. Uh, and if you're a guest and you have questions about us, just ask. We'd love to hear from you and try to answer those questions from God's Word together. We have talked in previous lessons in this series about the... Um, the various aspects of our relationships together as God's local family. And we've directed it more toward the local family as we've looked at things in Scripture rather than the universal family of God, though some of the verses we've used would include the universal family of God. This evening, I think it pertains more directly to the local family, though it could be applied in some other ways, I'm sure. And as we've looked at these together, I hope that you've been impressed with understanding, uh, maybe rethinking, maybe re-emphasizing in your life, some areas where the family is a bit misunderstood, or where we just need to re-emphasize some things we already know about God's local family. At any rate, I hope it's been productive for you, and I hope that, it, uh, uh, that it's been something that has been uh, helpful and edifying to you. We talked in these previous lessons about God's family uh, last week, for example, uh, with Brother Loomis uh, accepting one another. And then this morning, Brother Ball talked about bearing with one another's burdens. Very good lesson there. Uh, and in particular, toward the local congregation specifically. Tonight, we want to consider glorifying God by devotion and honor toward one another. Our devotion and honor toward one another. And... Uh, I don't know if Sister Peek is here tonight. She always points out when I misspell words, and you'll notice I misspelled 1 Thessalonians. It's my fault. Uh, But uh, you get the point of of what we're talking about there. If you're a member here at Milwaukee Avenue, you know we've become very familiar with Romans chapter 12 over the past year. We've specifically talked a lot about Romans 12, 1 and 2, the change of mind and heart. Uh, to make us a, a, a more serv- in more service to God. And, and how it is that Paul does say we are to be a living sacrifice, which means that we're to be nonconformists to this world, in essence, and transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
And, uh, and I just don't know if you've noticed before or not, I, I really never paid much attention to it until this past week. By the testing, you may discern, notice the word testing, which, cause, which ha- helps us to understand it isn't just something that happens, it's something that happens only through trial or difficulty or opposition. And so by the testing, um, we change our minds and our hearts and we become people who discern, who come to distinguish or better determine what the good and perfect will of God is. There's quite a bit more in that text that we could talk about tonight if we had more time. But I think sometimes we read those words and don't, don't really digest the meaning of what he's saying there. And though we are supernaturally forgiven and transformed as a new creation in God's family, we are not suddenly endowed with some kind of supernatural discernment regarding what is good and perfect in God's will. That takes time. As he uses the word here, that takes testing. That takes effort. That takes uh, a desire to, to, to get up and start again when we get knocked down or when we fail to, to, to start afresh again. Experiences help us grow as Christians Both good and bad experiences help us to grow if we're looking at those experiences correctly through the sight of God. What Paul describes here is a lifetime of Christian development in these verses and in the verses to come. If a person feels underdeveloped after having been a Christian for some time, what that means is that the process of growth is still continuing. It's not finished. Well, I find that refreshing. The worst thing in the world is to get to the end of something and say, well, that's it. I'm, I'm at the top of the rung. That's as far as I go, right? And we never get that way is what, the, uh, is what uh, Paul is saying here in this text. It's a lifetime development. And it's through that that we learn the perfect will of God. That takes time and it takes a process that we go through. Paul then proceeds to teach us what nonconformist to the world and conformist to God's way of thinking looks like in the, in the next few verses. Look at verse 3. Paul calls upon each to consider him or herself realistically within this family of God. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Notice that Paul there is speaking in terms of the local work. I mean, that's the only practical way that the, uh, that the uh, concept can be understood here. Uh, if he was talking about universal work, how is it that we have functions one with another. Do you have functions with somebody in China? Now, spiritually, you might. I understand. But he's not speaking in just in those terms. He's talking about the connection between brethren here. And the only way we get that is through the local body of God's people. The local church. And so he's speaking in... My point is, he's speaking in very practical terms, usable terms, and not just hypotheticals in this text. For example... If one had a gift of prophecy, they were to use it in benefit of those that were a part of that membership, that local, that local body. 
He goes on to say, uh, if we go on down to verse 6 of the text, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So again, how could they do these things? How could they manifest these things in their life if not for the local family of Jesus, the church, the local church? That's the only way these things could practically be carried out. In verse 9, Paul continues, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now here it is. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope or assurance. If you don't have assurance written by hope, you should. I think it means more to us in our English language. It is our assurance that we rejoice in through Jesus Christ. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That fits in with this morning's lesson, doesn't it? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable. And he goes on to name some other things, but I want you to jump down to verse 21 where he, he concludes this section of text by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is a fantastic passage, a helpful text in our lives together as God's family. And we could spend time, a series really, looking at each one of those things that he describes ought to be existent within every member of God's local church. A lot to notice in those verses, but I'd like to take particular notice of two sentences there in verse 10, where Paul tells our Roman brethren, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, that is to say, be kind or affectionate with one another. Uh, I thought I had a chart on that, maybe I do, let me see. Yes, right here. And we can see the versions that are used and how they translate this a little bit better. It gives us a better grip on maybe what he's, what he's actually trying to get to uh, grammatically in all of this. Be devoted to one another brotherly love. The NASV and NIV says, be kindly affectionate to one another in brotherly love. Kindly affectionate, devoted. Or the ESV that I'm reading from and the Revised Standard Version say the same thing. Love one another with brotherly Affection. So you've got devotion, kindly affectionate, and affection. You getting the idea that he's trying to get to in his text? I think it's helpful to us to understand. A lot of times we think of love, and our mind immediately goes to a very, uh, a, a very different kind of thought, a very different term. Well, for example, we'll talk about that in just a moment when we talk about agape. But uh, maybe you've already known that the Greek language has several words from which we translate our word love in English, each describing a different kind of relationship or intensity. So think about that with agape love. If you're familiar with what we're talking about right now, if you're not, just talk to me afterward, we'll talk about it. But but probably a good part of us this evening are familiar with those, those different Greek, at least some of those different Greek terms 
that describe love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is filled with the word agape love in the Greek language. Every time we read love in that text, we're reading the word agape. And that kind of love is a love that puts itself out for another, even if that other is undeserving of it or hasn't asked for it. It's a love like God's love. He came and He gave Himself for us that we might live. That is agape love in action, right? So we understand that kind of love probably more often from the Bible we think about that word than we do some of the other words for love. In this context, it's the word philostorgos. And if you're familiar with those Greek terms, then you'll, see, you'll hear the word phileo in there and you'll hear the word storge in there. Phileo is this idea of comrade. This is a person that I, that I have something in common with and we will fight for the same cause together. That is a dear friend and we'll fight together for this common thing. That's what that word uh, it, it generally speaks of. And storge is a word that speaks toward family love. This is my brother or sister. This is my mother or father or whatever. This is family, right? And we have, a, uh, we have a family love together. So the Lord, through Paul, uses a word here in this context uh, that we often don't talk about or maybe have never even heard of before, where he takes two Greek words and he puts them together and it gives a particular meaning, a very particular meaning. In this case, Christian family love, literally, is what he's talking about here. Christian family love. It occurs 220 times in the New Testament beginning, I thought this was interesting, beginning in the book of Acts. Now why would that be? Because Acts is where we learn about the beginning of the church and the church working together in Christian family love. And from Acts on through the epistles, we read that word many times over and over, though we may not recognize it in the English language. Family affection enables us to work things out, doesn't it? That's why it's special. Family affection helps us to get over problems when there's differences of opinion or there's likes or there's dislikes within a family. Family affection will not permit differences of opinion, likes or dislikes to become barriers of fellowship if we're talking about a proper family. If we're talking about a proper family. I understand there's dysfunctional families all the time, but that's not what we're talking about at this point. As I was thinking about that, <clears throat> the thought occurred to me, it's not based on feelings, is it? That, that physical family connection. And I would say to you, the kind of family that he's talking about here in this text, that's not always based on feelings either. Christian family is more than feelings. There are good ways that we should treat one another, even... Uh, even if our, uh, one's feelings are upset with another person because it's the right thing to do. It is not true to say that God is content with our treating others uh, less than proper in His family. Or, I'll treat this person decently, but but all the while I'm harboring ill feelings toward that person. That's not, what, that's not what this text is talking about when it talks about having Christian love one for another. 
When, when we read that we are to love one another with family affection, we might just keep reading past that, but Paul is ask, actually desiring the readers to pause and consider that a little bit more deeply. You see, it gives greater meaning when we do that to other places of Scripture. For example, uh, there's the definition if you wanted to see it. Sorry, I'm behind on my charts. For example, when we look there at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, a familiar passage maybe to some of us, God uh, predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. What does that word adoption mean? That's talking about family love. That's what that's talking about, adoption. And in chapter 2, verse 19 of this same text, we are members of the household of God. Doesn't understanding that, that Greek concept, does that give a little better meaning to you when you look at these two other passages that we often, that we often read about, but we can see them in a deeper way now? Jesus looks at us as family. And Jesus wants us to look at one another as affectionate family. And I think we might miss the word affectionate. I keep trying to reuse it. Affectionate family. This family is the Lord's family, brothers and sisters, and everyone in it is in it by God's adoptive grace. I am here by God's adopted grace, and so are you here for that same reason. God wanted it that way, and therefore no one has the right to be here more than any other has the right to be in this family. I don't have the right. I was given it. You don't have the right. You were given it. Therefore, how should I treat my fellow sibling who is in the same position that I was in and is in the same position now together? You see, it gives a different meaning if we, if we stop for a moment and think about that. And it's not something probably that may be new to you, but, it, but we should constantly be rethinking some of these concepts. And in the adoption process, we've been, we've been brought together as Phileostorgos, one affectionate Christian family. I love that part of the text, how he is pressing on our minds, you're not just family, you have a care and affection for one another in that family. I want you to notice there again, verse 10, Paul says not only love one another with brotherly love, a brotherly affection, but he also goes on to, to talk about the enthusiasm with which we should do that. Outdo one another in honor. The word honor means to have or to give respect or value to one another. You ever noticed family who respects and values one another naturally likes being together with one another? I mean, that really is true, right? Uh, families who really love each other don't say, uh, yeah, the last thing I want to do is get together with my family. That's not how that works. Uh, it naturally is that we would want to be together. And, and it will generate all kinds of things when that happens, when they're together, right? When a good family's together, it generates all kinds of stuff. Uh, and, and close associations and further sharing and all of these good things come from being together with good family. I, I would just say to you, brothers and sisters, you find week after week, month after month, the only time that you're in contact with your brethren is at worship once or twice a week. Maybe you should rethink that concept that Paul's talking about in, these ver in this verse. This verse calls for more than that, doesn't it? 
You may need to rethink the implications of this teaching set forth by the Lord here, as well as other passages that we could look at that are like this. A proper family in Christ doesn't just go to church together, brothers and sisters. We are the church together. And there's a big difference between those two things. One involves closeness, and the other one just involves an association. We are more than an association. We are family, affectionate family, and family that honors one another, he says in this text. I want you to recall with me how Paul goes on to describe there in verses 10 through 16 things that show honor toward one another, like patience or generosity toward one another or grace toward one another, grace in the sense of uh, meeting one another's needs, that concept. Uh, sympathy for one another, harmony with one another, and humility, seeking the highest and greatest good of another before one's own, in other words. These are all things brotherly love and honor are built upon. Our lives are, are connected to one another as a wholesome family connects one member to another member within that family. Not just by necessity, now, in practical terms, let me say it this way. Not just because we go together to worship. That's a necessity. You see, if we're not attending worship, we're not obeying God. So he demands his family comes together on the first day of the week for worship. And then he tells us how to do that worship. But my point to all that is, it also should entail opportunities when we are able. And I understand we're not always able. But when we are that should be our desire. I want to be with God's family. I want to be with this brother, with that, with that uh, brother or sister. Uh, this illustration introduces us to a couple of things. One is good and the other is... I mean, one is good news and the other is bad news. The bad news is that not everyone connects with what we've been talking about tonight. I find that sad. And that's the bad news. The reason they don't connect is because they don't get it. They might not get it for various reasons, but one of the things that I have seen in our society, and not just our society, one of the things I've seen among God's people over the years, I don't know what it was like in Paul's day. I have read that the divorce rate was outrageous in Paul's day, and it would seem that that would be right and true with the way that the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, is it right for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Then they go on to make a case why they ought to think they ought to be able to. And Jesus made a case, no, it's never been that way. It should never be that way. But a divorce rate, I think, is a reason for why it is sometimes people come among God's people and they don't get what we're talking about. Many have grown up and are growing up not knowing what it feels like to be truly accepted and loved and made secure within a family unit. A lot of people don't know what that means. And that is certainly becoming more and more true in our day. Because of dysfunction and unfaithfulness within families, Many have not learned to trust others. And instead, they have developed habits that are anything but Christian-like, and they have to learn these habits over time. And those who already instinctively, it almost seems, were born into, we might say, these kind of habits, we have to be patient with those who are still learning them. And of course, there's always the understanding that even those who know right from wrong and have learned well over the years, stumble and fall 
and do boneheaded things, right? Many in our day have learned to lie and they've learned to deceive as a way of life, to manipulate, to create disunity to get things they want. Drama in their relationships are constant. They val- the value that they, that they have about family is relative value because it's all about them instead of about family. Feelings at the moment rather than absolute standards of truth and good wisdom at work and in play. How do you dictate right from wrong in that kind of situation? Many have grown up in families that are just selfish rather than benevolent and giving. Do you see the difference between what we read there in Romans chapter 12 and what, and what we see in the world on a daily or day-to-day basis in some families? It should not be strange to us that sometimes people don't get it. And it should not be strange to us that sometimes we ourselves don't seem to get it. And unfortunately, becoming a Christian doesn't automatically change those attitudes and those actions which have been learned in our past sinful life. And that's what Paul means when he talks about this time that goes by where we learn more than we knew the day before because that is the way that it happens. Consequently, upon becoming a Christian and joining a local family of God, some have no idea what it means to be loving and caring and trusting and open and sincere as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ with the counterparts that exist within that family. But I would say to you, after having said that, which is quite negative of a realization, I think, probably we'd all agree with that, it introduces the good news. And the good news is God has designed the church, His family, to bring to light spiritual and emotional healing no matter what kind of background we've had. If it's great, that's great. God's going to enhance it. If it's horrible, that's okay. God's going to fix it. God has the church for a reason. I love the quote that Zach said this morning. The church is not for God. The church is for God's people. (laughs) It is God's people. It's God's family. We're here for one another. We were created as a family for one another. Adopted for one another. Many people today need to learn for the first time how to love and how to care for others within God's family. And maybe you're one who is in here this evening and you're thinking to yourself, well, I've been a Christian for 50 years. I already know what that means. Probably if you think that, you don't really know what it means at all. Because it's not something like that. It's something we keep growing in. It's something we get better at year after year after year after year. Pure motives and kindness. What does it mean to outdo one another in honor? When the church functions as it is meant to, we begin to realize the true greatness of what God has done in His family. How can we do things for one another that shows honor? 
I know you could add to this list. I wrote down just some quick things. Pray for God's power to influence and help me to be a better sibling. Right? And for others to be better siblings too that I love and care about in God's family. We can focus on heaven and God's mercy on all of us. How often I need to remember I am where I am by the grace of God and so are you. None of us earned it. None of us deserve it. No one's better than another. We may all function differently, but no one has a better place in God's family than you do or than I do. And we can refuse to be a relational fatalist. And what I mean by that is God doesn't demand what we cannot do in our relationship yet. But here's the thing. There's nothing that's impossible with God. And if one is willing, He will cause success in every relationship you have with another sibling of His. No matter how difficult it might be. If both are willing to overcome, God provides what it is that will bring peace in relationships. Every single time that is true. God doesn't tell us to be this kind of family and then not give us the tools to do it. Uh, he absolutely does. And it comes through our desire of, of uh, learning through experiences. Think about what all of this means to a young person who's grown up in a dysfunctional home. Or an older person for that matter. Grown up in a dysfunctional home and comes into God's family. Begins to observe, watch us, see how we work, how we function. See how when there's an issue, it's overcome through love and affection and honor for one another. Can you imagine what that feels like to say, I want to be part of that family? It, it, it does happen. I mean, there's people sitting in this very auditorium right now, brothers and sisters in Christ, who became Christians because they were attracted to the family of God, even before they were attracted to the truth of God. Observing people in the spiritual family outdoing one another in Christian love and honor. And to see the beauty of that functioning family of Christ that you and I may just take for granted. I'll admit to you, brothers and sisters, I take that for granted. I grew up among God's people. I've got that pedigree thing that Zach was talking about today. My dad was a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. I'm a preacher. My brother's a preacher. I grew up among God's people. I mean, like from the time I was born, I heard God's people singing. I heard God's people praying. And you know what happens? If I'm not careful, I become used to that. And it really doesn't mean all that much. Now that's all fine and good until it not meaning all that much means I don't act like I should. I don't think like I should. I don't employ these things like I should because, well, I'm used to it. Right? Think about what it means for a person to come in from a background that has not been among God's people. And how important that is to them. How much that is appealing to them. There's no wonder the Lord tells us through Paul and other apostles, be this kind of family. This kind of family matters in the world. 
This kind of family impresses those who are without family and who need family. Found lyrics to a, a, a song. <clears throat> uh, you know, songs are just poems, uh, and so I don't know the I don't know the the tune to the song. I've never heard the song, I should say, but I found the lyrics to it, and I and I thought I would just read it to you this evening. See if you can't relate to <clears throat> to what is is talked about here. It says that you'll notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because uh, we are a family. And these folks are so dear. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm not just crying. I, uh, I actually have some problem going on up here. <laughs> I told Angie, I didn't know how I was going to be able to speak all the way through tonight. And it's getting close. So. so you'll notice that we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're family and those folks are so dear. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king... No longer an outcast, but a family with which to share and sing. From rags to riches, <clears throat> from weak to strong. I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. So glad to be part of the family of God. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the true family of God. Pretty neat song. And I would say to you, brothers and sisters, there's nothing better than this family of God that we're talking about tonight. Nothing is better. person says, well, I don't know. I have problems sometimes with this person or that person. I'll say it again. There's nothing better than the family of God. Problems does not destroy family. Uh, preferences do not destroy family. And you see, it's stronger than those things as we've looked at this evening. I wonder if we take it for granted. And if we do, I wonder if we can snap out of that and not take it for granted. Nothing better than the family of God. If you're part of that, you know that that is true if you honestly and genuinely think about it. But if you're not, you have no idea what it is you're missing out on not being part of God's family. God desires for you to change that dilemma in your life tonight. That you not leave this place without being part of God's family. You do that first initially by turning from sin Turning to God, confessing Jesus to be the Savior, and having your sins washed away in baptism. That's the initial step. God will adopt you when you follow Him that way. Then you can also begin enjoying the blessings of God as your Father. And these people who love one another and honor one another as your siblings. There's nothing better than the family of God. If you're subject to that call tonight, why don't you respond to it by coming forward?